Praise God. We need that. Okay, Acts chapter 9. We're going to begin at verse 17. Because we've been looking at the church in the book of Acts to see what the church is supposed to look like. Since we started this several weeks ago, what did you think we would see? When I announced we were going to look at the church in the book of Acts, what did you think we would see? Did you think we would look in the book of Acts and see a, a simple worship service plan? Maybe a, a certain preaching style or a specific mission strategy? I've been surprised that God's way is not my way. Maybe you have too. God's building His church His way. Let's read verses 17 through 31. The Bible says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then, verse 31 says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. We're going to see in the second part of the unveiling of God's plan to fulfill the Great Commission. The salvation of Paul, the second part of this, is a, is a joyful thought in the church. We're going to see the church in the book of Acts enjoying peace. Because this man Saul of Tarsus, whom God calls Paul, is gospel witness. God saves Paul, and now the church enjoys a time of peace. Because of this man's salvation, now the church isn't being tormented and, and uh, sent into tribulation. It's enjoying a time of peace. And guess what else? The Holy Spirit is strengthening and encouraging the church. Does the church need to have some time of peace? Yes. After October, maybe we'll have some peace. It's going to be a busy month. It's not true. We're not going to have any, any rest. 
from the work of the Lord. We will have peace, though. We're going to stay busy at the work of God. But we need to have some peace. And we need to have the Holy Spirit strengthening and encouraging the church. Let the Holy Spirit strengthen you. Let the Holy Spirit speak so that this church will be encouraged. And finally, the church is growing in numbers. Anybody has a problem with the church getting too big, then you've got a problem with God's plan for the church. Because all through the book of Acts, this church is growing and growing and growing. And that means more people. Growing in numbers. The Bible specifically says it didn't grow in size, it grew in numbers. God's concerned about souls. And every person that is saved is a number that's added to the role of the kingdom of God. God cares about numbers. And why does it grow in numbers? Because it was living in the fear of the Lord. If we get our eyes off of that, if we start worshiping a worship service, or we start worshiping a building, or we start following a preacher, then we've got a problem. We need to keep our eyes on God. This is God's church. He will have His way. He will do what He pleases, and His plan will prevail. We will follow in the fear of the Lord, and the church will continue to grow. That's what we want to get out of this. Now, the second part, uh, seeing how Saul is saved. Last week, we talked about Saul, this man who was wreaking havoc. He was tearing up the church and God knocked him off of his feet and got him down on his face on the road to Damascus. Just before he was about to enter, he saw a great light and he heard a voice. The voice told him what to do because God was chasing after Saul. Saul was a man who thought he was on a mission from God, but Jesus stopped him and said, you need to quit doing what you're doing and start doing what I want you to do. God will always get his man, won't he? God wants you. God loves you. He will pursue you. And he may have to get you flat on your back. He may have to get you face down in the dirt. He may have to blind you and leave you that way for days. God's willing. He's patient. God always hits his man. And then there was that man, the faithful witness, Ananias, who said, not me, Lord. You, you know this guy. I've heard what he's done. In Jerusalem, he tore up the church. He killed people. He drags people off to jail. And you want me to go to his house? Are you kidding me? I don't want to get near that guy. But he goes because he's, God requires faithfulness of his servants. Now then we see in these few verses, 17 through 31, God's new apostle. This is God's new apostle. Don't think of him as anything else. He's God's man. God said, I will show him how much he will suffer for me. He is my servant. He's my vessel. I like what God said about him. He's my chosen instrument. This is God's new apostle. Chuck Swindoll in his biography of Paul said this, the first pen portrait of Paul is both brutal and bloody. If an artist were to render it with a brush and oils, not one of us would want to hang it in our living rooms. The man looks more like a terrorist than a devout follower of Judaism. To our horror, the blood of the first martyr of the Christian church splattered across Saul's clothes while he stood nodding in agreement an accomplice to this vicious crime, stoning of Stephen, the preacher in Acts chapter 6 and 7. 
look at what the Bible says there in the in in Acts chapter seven. It's on the screen. The message is a paraphrase of the Bible, and this is how it puts the stoning of Stephen with the consent of Saul. Yelling and hissing, the mob drowned him out. Now in full stampede, they dragged Stephen out of town and pelted him with rocks. The ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man named Saul to watch them. As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, I give you my life. Then he knelt down, praying loud enough for everyone to hear, Master, don't blame them for this sin. His last words. Then he died. Saul was right there congratulating the killers. And this is the man that God wants. This is the man that God chose. He said, he is my chosen instrument. No matter what he's done, God's had his, he's had his plan for Saul. He's God's new apostle. Continuing with what Chuck Swindoll said about him, he hated the name of Jesus so much, Saul uh, became a self-avowed, violent aggressor, persecuting and killing Christians in allegiance to the God of heaven. He thought he was doing it for God. Shocking though it may seem, we must never forget the pit from which Paul came. The better we understand his darkness, the darkness of his past, the more we will understand why he later became known as the Apostle of Grace. Here's God's new Apostle. He says, I'm a, the Apostle of Grace because God showed him great grace. Let's look at God's new Apostle and be careful not to judge people who are getting saved today. Do you really know if they're saved? We'll answer that question in just a moment. But let's look at what the Bible says about this new Apostle, God's new Apostle, first see him growing in Christ, verses 19 and 20. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now I see Paul, God's new apostle, growing in Christ. He has had a real repentance experience. He's had a real bona fide salvation experience. He's already had a salvation experience before Ananias comes. God didn't tell Ananias to pray for his salvation. God took care of that on the road to Damascus and in the three days that Paul was blind there in the house on Straight Street there in Damascus. Saul has had a, he's had a repentance. He's had a real conversion. Think about it. Because of what we see in verses 19 and 20, we can, we can reduce this to three things. Paul changed his mind about three things. That's how I know he really repented. He changed his mind about God's will. Saul thought on the way to Damascus, every stone that was thrown at every martyr and every person that he dragged off to prison, he thought he was doing God's will. But now God says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, what must I do? Saul changed his mind about God's will. God's will wasn't for him to kill Christians, but to help Christians. And that's what he starts doing in verse 19 and 20. He changed his mind about Jesus' resurrection. Paul says later on in the book of Galatians, I saw Jesus. He didn't see a vision of Jesus. Jesus appeared to him in flesh and blood. In the Spirit, Jesus appears to Paul. That's why he says, I am one of the apostles. 
one of those that Jesus showed himself to, and therefore he is a witness of the resurrection. He said, Jesus showed himself to me. He says, I changed my mind about Jesus' resurrection. They said it was real and I thought it was a lie, but now I know it's the truth. Paul has a real repentance experience. He's growing in Christ. And he changes his mind about the church's message. From the days of Jesus' resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, the church began to say Jesus is the Messiah. And anyone who will be saved must believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ. He's the coming Messiah. Saul wanted to, to drown that message out, but he changed his mind about the church's message. He believes now Jesus is the Savior. He's had a really... He's had a real repentance experience. One of the great saints from the early church from the uh, 4th century, St. Augustine, he called Paul's conversion only three or 400 years after Paul's conversion. He's close enough to this to, to understand the magnitude of Saul's conversion. He says it's the violent capture of a rebel will. And he called it the changing, changing the nature of a wild wolf into the spirit of the lamb. That's how God's word uh, pictures Saul. He's, a, he's ravaging the church, breathing threats and murder. Changing the nature of a wild wolf into the spirit of the lamb. God is the only one who can do that in a depraved soul like Saul. Because that was the day that mercy met this rebel Saul as he traveled to Damascus. We see Paul growing in Christ. When people get saved, they need to start growing. The Bible says we're new. We've been born again. That's the way we, we uh, declare our salvation. We call it being born again. Think of yourself as a baby in Christ. Babies can't help themselves. Babies don't know everything. Babies need lots of help. If you're a new believer, ask for help. Get help. And people that are sitting around in this church, there are new believers here and they need you. They need you to lift them up. They need you to take them into their arms. They need you to show them what the right food is. They need you to help them find shelter and uh, clothing that is proper for the believer, for the new believer. It's up to us to help them grow in Christ. And so here's Saul the God's new apostle, is he really saved? He's growing in Christ. He's had a real repentance experience because he's changed his mind about these three things. Now, look at him in verse 20 through 22. Growing in his faith. What does the Bible say? At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Growing in his faith. All those who heard him, verse 21 says, were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Here he is, a new believer growing in faith. Now we are a little leery and cautious about people who grow fast in Christ. But look at this growth of Paul. Here he is immediately after receiving his healing and being baptized, 
I, I believe he was not only baptized in water, but uh, Ananias says that you would receive the Holy Spirit. I believe when Ananias prayed for him, he received the Holy Spirit. And so here he is growing in faith. He begins preaching. That's the first thing he does. He starts telling the story of Jesus. If you've got no other thing to say in a witness, if you say, well, I'm not prepared. Do you know what Jesus did? Do you know the story of how he died on the cross? Maybe that's the only seed of the gospel that you have. That's enough. Isn't that enough? To know the story of Jesus. That's what Paul started preaching. He started telling everybody around him till it was annoying to them that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And the people were astonished. They said, this is the man who's come here to take people as prisoners. But Paul is growing in his faith. Look at him. God's new apostle is growing in his, in his faith. And the Bible says he grew more and more powerful in persuasive preaching. He was more and more persuasive in his preaching. You know how you're going to get better at witnessing? Go ahead and tell me. How are you going to get better at witnessing? Practicing. Just do it. That's what Paul was doing. He said, I've got to do this. This is what God's called me to do now. I better get out there and do it. He, he could have sat there on that bed where he lost his sight and said, I'm, I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody, I don't deserve to be able to do anything for God. After all I've done, I better just stay right here. Nobody will believe me anyway. I deserve what I get, did to other people. Therefore, I'll just stay here in this, and hide away in this cave. You know, he didn't do that. He did not do that. He started preaching immediately because there's something God wants you and I, everyone who believes, to be doing. Go into all the world and proclaim the good news. That's preach the gospel. It simply means proclaim. You don't have to have a microphone and a pulpit to be a preacher. You just have to be the voice that proclaims. And there's one message that we are to proclaim. The good news. The gospel. It's the blessed hope. It's the hope of the world. This world's without hope unless Jesus fixes it. Unless Jesus is the answer. And he is the answer. You've got the answer. And you hide it away? How selfish. Why don't we open our hands and give what we've been freely given? It's been put in our hands this free gift of life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is this free gift of life. It's been given to you, and you hold it in your hands, life. And God gives you the ability to share it. And it's simple. It's our first mission as living faith, Russellville Assembly of God, is to proclaim the good news, to preach the gospel, to save the lost, to reach the lost in this world. That's what God's called us to do. And not as a church, but as individuals who make up the church. That's our faith growing preaching, growing more and more powerful and persuasive preaching. I'm encouraged to see our young people, the leaders of our youth who are getting in there, whether they thought they were called of God or not, to get up and start telling the good news. Start revealing what God's Word says. Start praying and saying, God, give me a message and I'll be faithful to share it with your people. I'm encouraged Michelle is going to be a powerful preacher. One of these days, you need to keep growing, like Paul, more and more powerful in persuasive preaching. Study, the Bible says, to show yourself approved. 
You're not going to get powerful in preaching. You're not going to be a good teacher until you've studied, until you know, until you get the Spirit's unction, the power of God pushing you to be powerful and, and persuasive. God wants us to be persuasive. His news is good, and we've got to convince people. And that takes us growing in our faith. So we see this God's new apostle growing in Christ, growing in faith. Look in Galatians 1. It's right here on the board, so you don't have to flip in your Bible too much. I'm giving you a break this week. I don't usually do this. But I wanted to do this today. Galatians 1 says this, Paul's very words to the church in Galatia. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. And we'll see in just a minute that he goes to Jerusalem to see Peter and James, to the apostles. There's a few gaps in the story of Acts chapter 9 that are filled in in Galatians chapter 1. He spends a few days with the disciples in Damascus in Acts 9 verse 19. It's just a few days where we see him growing in his faith. Then Galatians tells us he removes himself to Arabia, to the desert. For three years he prepares for the work that God's called him to do. As a young man, a 16, 17, 18 year old man who realized I was called by God. I wrestled with God as to what was the proper preparation. I didn't want to go to Bible college. I said, God's enough. God called me. He'll tell me what to say. And I don't need that old Bible's Bible college stuff. Well, that's kind of silly. I needed to be prepared. And there are people who understand and who can teach, who can teach me how to do it better, teach me how to, how to study to do it right. Instead of trying to invent the wheel all over again, go and learn how it was made and go out and fit it to the vehicle God's given you. So that's what Saul did, grow. He was growing in his faith and growing in his fellowship. There was a disciple named Barnabas. We met him when we met the, uh, those wicked people in the church, Ananias and Sapphira. Barnabas is the man who gave the full amount from the purchase of his land, from the sale of his land. And these people who were uh, fake and false in the church, they followed Barnabas' example, but through a lie. Here's this same man, verse 26 says this, Then he came to Jerusalem. This is after the three years in the desert. He tried to join the disciples, that's Paul, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to his hometown of Tarsus. 
So here's this apostle of God, God's new apostle, growing in fellowship. We need others. Saul got away for three years to train, to understand the purpose that God had called him to, and then he went back to Damascus, and, and then he went to Jerusalem and tried to join the disciples. But guess what? As a new believer, only three years old in Christ, they were afraid of him. But there was somebody named Barnabas. Every new believer needs a Barnabas. Barnabas is called the son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means in Hebrew. Son of encouragement. He's that guy that always encourages people. Every time you see Barnabas, he's got a positive word. He's kind of like Bill. He's always got a positive word. He wants to see the good side instead of the bad side. He wants to turn it around instead of a half-empty cup. It's a half-full cup. That's the way Barnabas is. And he takes Paul aside and says, Hey man, you're scaring people. Let me, let, me, let me help you. Follow me. Do what I do. Let me rub off on you a little bit. Let's take a few of your rough edges off. I think Paul had a few rough edges, don't you? If you know Paul through the Gospels, I mean through the, through the book of Acts and through his uh, writings of the epistles, you see a rough character that God's not finished with yet. And uh, God gets his man. He sends Barnabas alongside so Paul will grow in fellowship. Because you can't do it by yourself. You need others. That's why we got a team to help our young people. To grow our youth group. That's why we need a team to do the angel food ministries. That's why we've got to have many people to do the reaching out to fulfill our commission. To fulfill our mission to reach the lost. We need to be a team here. Anytime there's a need, we need to jump in there and do it. With all of our heart, we need each other. We need to grow in fellowship. And he got to know these apostles. After Barnabas calmed them down and explained, this guy's for real. This guy's for real. Then the disciples accepted him. He was growing in fellowship. Galatians 1, 18 through 19, right there again. Oh, you can see it right up here. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem, Paul says, to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. That's the time that we're talking about, verses 26 to 30 in Acts chapter 9. So he says, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the brother, the Lord's brother. That's the man who wrote the book in the Bible called James. He is Jesus' brother. He became one of the great leaders of the church. Here's this man, God's new apostle. If we were saving people, we probably would have bypassed this wicked man. If we were God, we probably would have struck him down dead on the road to Damascus because he was tearing up the church, and we can't have that. But God had a different plan, didn't he? Have you watched the movie Star Wars? I know there's a lot of them. The ones when I was growing up as a kid were supposed to be the first ones, but they really weren't. In the new ones, you found a cute little boy named Anakin. Remember him? If you've seen Star Wars, then you've seen this cute little boy, Anakin, and he seems to be the hero. And he grows up in the first couple of Star Wars movies, the newest ones, which are called prequels. They actually were part of the story before what we saw in the 80s. So here's this cute little boy, Anakin, and he seems to be the star and the hero, and he's going to grow up and be a great fighter for the world, and, and he, would, he would be the savior. He would be the hero. But what happens to Anakin? He turns to the dark side. And I see that as Saul. 
He's a Jew among the Jews. He has a good family that raises him up to be trained in, in, the, uh, in the ways of God. And he is perfect in the law according to his own words. But he turns to the dark side. Instead of siding with God's church, he tries to destroy God's church. And I don't know what the outcome of, of Darth Vader, who is the man that Anakin ends up becoming. He is Darth Vader. How does this cute little boy turn so to the dark side that he becomes Darth Vader? But in that one scene where Luke, the son of Anakin, is fighting with the man that he has just found out is his father, there seems to be a transition there. Maybe Darth comes to the light. Maybe he doesn't. We're not sure. But it's a picture of Saul. God gets his man and God turns this evil heart of the early church's Darth Vader into the son of light. Into the man who carries the broadest sword, who preaches the gospel from, from coast to coast. From Jerusalem to Rome, he desires to get to Spain, the outermost parts of the world in those days. He's the man who does it because God saved him. And I want to I want to warn you, I want to give you this caution. Don't be too quick to judge new converts. Don't be quick to judge new converts. We're going to hear the testimony of Gary... Schiller's tonight at church. I really felt it fit perfectly here. And Gary's been needing to tell his testimony because we need to know what God's done. I mean, we shouted when Gary came to the altar a few months ago, didn't we? Jeannie, you weren't here, but you know what happened. She's living this experience of seeing God's new apostle. The man that God chose, he said, Gary is my chosen instrument and I don't care what he's done. You'll hear what he's done tonight. You'll hear what God did tonight in an even greater way. Because God gets his man. And we've got to be careful not to judge new converts. How do you know if they're saved? Well, I'll tell you, you don't. Who can get saved? That's the question we've got to ask right there. Who can get saved? Let's answer that question. A couple of simple verses. Acts 16.31. Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, did they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? They said they did. That they fulfilled all that it requires to be saved. So who are you to judge whether they've come to Christ or not? When Beth said, I prayed out there on that helicopter pad, I really felt the presence of God there, we have, we have to not judge her salvation. If her salvation's real, we'll know it. If it's not real, we'll know that too. I'd suggest we quit worrying about it. Quit judging whether people really got saved or not. There were people who wanted to say, now beware, Gary's done this before. I heard that. Shame on us. This is God's apostle. This is God's new apostle. God will handle it. They will grow in Christ because God's hand is on them. Let's help them grow in faith. Let's help them in fellowship to grow. We need to be the Barnabas and the apostles who give them opportunities to grow in their faith and to grow in their fellowship. Who can get saved? Romans 10, 9 and 10. What does it say? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... 
In other words, if you say, Jesus, I believe you are Lord, you're God, you're the one, confess that with your mouth, and the next verse says, and if you will believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, that Jesus uh, was raised from the dead, you are saved. Did they do that? Then who are we to judge whether they're saved? Who can get saved? Anyone who believes on the Lord. Anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Anyone who believes in their heart that God raised Him from the dead, they are saved. We don't know whether they're saved or not, but God does. So we've got to resist predicting who God will save and who God will not be able to keep when they become Christians. God has sovereign power. He will do what He has planned. If God told us His plan, it would be too unbelievable. We would never believe God would save certain people. God has many vessels, His own chosen vessels, and He will get His man. The church is going to have a time of peace when the right people get saved. The church is going to be strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit when we are sensitive to the Spirit, we will grow in strength. We will be encouraged to move forward in the mission. Though as hard as it may be, we will be strengthened and encouraged by the Spirit. And this church will, will, will start growing in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. That's our cue. We've got to live in the fear of the Lord. Let's start trusting in God. Start respecting and revering our mighty God. And don't think He can't do something. Maybe God is sneaking up on you. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I've got to tell you, if God is sneaking up on you, He's already made up His mind. You're His chosen instrument. Maybe you've been running from God. Maybe you've been resisting God all along. But today's the day. God's got His hook in you. God desires to, to bring you to Himself. He desires to have you as part of His team. Join His family today by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. By confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. By believing in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and God raised Him from the dead. You can believe that, can't you? You can confess that, can't you? You'll be saved. If God's sneaking up on you, it's time to quit running. He will catch you. Not out of evil, but out of good. He wants you. He loves you. He wants to fix what's wrong in your life. He's going to put you on the right path instead of wandering out there aimlessly, beating your head against a brick wall, trying to figure it out. God's already figured it out. He's got the plan. He's calling to you. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. God loves you. It's time to enjoy some peace in your life. You've been in turmoil so long because God's, God's after you. He's pressing you, pushing you, harassing you if you may. He's called you. Now answer Him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Confess with your mouth, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my Savior. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you died in my place. But you're not dead. You came back to life. And because you're alive, you can change me. God has all power. If 
God's sneaking up on you, would you come to this altar? Would you turn your life over to Jesus today? He's been after you for a long time. Today's the day to give in. Today's the day to join His team. Today's the day to find out the peace of God that He's been trying to get you. Today's the day. Come to this altar. Just kneel right here. Just walk down here and kneel. Someone will join you. We want to pray for you. We want you to find God. We want you to be a part of His family today. We want you to let God have His way in your life, and that's what we're praying for. You can get saved today. Do it. Come to Him. Understand this, this altar's open and I'm not, I'm not giving up on you. If you're not a believer, you come to this altar while I'm talking to the Christians in this place. Go ahead and come. Christians in this place, he's called you to do something unbelievable. Maybe you've been sensing God's unbelievable plan to save the world and it has you in it. You're part of the plan. And you say, oh God, it's unbelievable. You can't, you can't use me. God's calling you. God's chosen you. You are an instrument. In His hands, he wants, to, he wants to take you in His hands and use you in His will. To do it His way, not yours. He's called you to do something unbelievable. Would you join God's unbelievable plan? Would you come to this altar? Would you surrender your heart now? Would you say, God, I need to grow in you because I'm not where I should be. I need to be more and more powerful in the way I live for you, in the way I explain the gospel. I need to be a better voice for you. I need to be a better light in this dark world. Come to this altar today. Come to this altar today. We're not going to be quick to judge people today because we don't know who is saved and who's not. We just know what God's teaching us. We know what God's saying to us as individuals. If God's speaking to you, do what He says. Do what Paul did. He obeyed. He went and did what God said. Do what Ananias did. Instead of questioning God, he obeyed. Come to this altar. If God's been calling you to do something unbelievable, come to this altar. Put it on, this, put it on God where it belongs and say, God, if it's your plan, then you help me. You show me the way. You make a way where there seems to be no way. This all seems too impossible for me. It's unbelievable that you would do it, God, but I trust you. Come to this altar today and let him have his way in your life.